Welcome back to B2B Podcasting Field Guide, the show that helps you launch and grow a successful business podcast. Today, I speak with Fatima Zaidi, the CEO and founder of Quill, a full-service podcasting hosting platform and production agency which supports brands in launching their podcasts. We talk about everything from how to stand out today when there are so many more podcasts than ever before. We talk about the value of podcasting for brands. We go deep into the weeds about podcast promotion and growth strategies. Everyone is always asking me, look, how do we grow our show? How do we increase our downloads? How do we increase our subscribers? And our question, my question to Fatima was, are those even valid metrics anymore? You know, what should we be thinking about and working on to grow our shows? Uh, We talk about the value of social media ads, paid promotion, Spotify, podcast cross-promotion, you know, how should we be thinking about growing our shows? We also touch on some underused strategies that, you know, people should be thinking about. She's just so smart and knowledgeable. She's a fire hose of insight on podcasts and this space. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. You're going to get a huge amount of value from it. So this is old. This is new. This is influence. Fatima Zaidi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Nathan. It's a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to having this conversation for a long time. Your background and history is fascinating. You've launched two really exciting companies, Quill and Co-host. And I've got a ton of questions for you for podcast production, content, strategy, promotion. Um, I don't think we're going to have the time to get through all of the questions that I've got here, but we'll do our best. (laughs) Before we jump into all of that good stuff, can you tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what did you do? Absolutely. Uh, So thanks for the intro, Nathan. Fatima Zaidi, the founder and CEO of Quill. Quill is a full service podcast production agency. We work with Fortune 500 to 1000 brands, the PwCs, the Expedias, the uh, McKinsey's of the world, and we help them launch their podcasts as well as market their shows. Until a few years ago, the amount of data we were getting in this industry was pretty limited in terms of analytics and measurement. So our team also launched Co-Host, which is one of the first tools in our industry that is supporting brands who are podcasting and getting the right analytics and data that they need to grow and scale their shows. Uh, so Co-Host is a uh, you know, very full service measurement platform that gives you data on who your audience is and how they're responding to your content. So, so let's drill into that then. What are the best ways that you found brands using podcasts properly to drive to generate leads, start new conversations with new prospects, deepen relationships with existing ones. What are the best formats that they use to do that? And and how do brands, how do the best brands that you've seen do that really well? I think format is so contingent and subjective to the type of show it is that you're trying to create in terms of your concept. Uh, We're never really married to a particular format. Personally, I love narrative shows. Building them uh, is a lot of work. 10 times more work than an interview style show. But I think that sometimes it can be more engaging from a storytelling perspective. And so I typically gravitate towards narrative style format shows when I'm consuming my own podcasting content. But I think B2B interview style shows can be really impactful as well to tell your brand story. There's all these amazing brands out there, Amazon, Slack, Salesforce, Google, Starbucks, Microsoft, 
but we don't really have an emotional connection to these brands. We don't really know um, their brand story, what's happening behind closed doors, what is their leadership like. Um, and, and for me, it's just about humanizing the experience between the brand and their customers and stakeholders rather than just being this big brand that exists like on a surface level, you actually get to create an intimate relationship with them. And that is what fosters long-term loyalty. And so uh, for me, I think the, the format and structure is so contingent on the type of show that it is that you're trying to create. Any format can be successful with the right podcast strategy um, and with the right marketing and distribution plan. I think intimacy is key, especially for a medium like podcasting, where you're literally talking into the brains <laughs> and the heads of of your listeners. Um, and I think there's so much that can be done when it comes to music, sonic branding, style, tone, conveying values and purpose and mission. I think it's such a rich medium for storytelling. But as you've said, the branded podcast sort of space to do that well, you need a team to do it well. It's quite a significant investment. Talk yeah, nobody wants to listen to two people having a conversation for 40 minutes. That's just like, that's just podcasting 101. Your average consumption rate will definitely be below 50% if that's all you're creating. Unless, you know, you're talking to Oprah. Um, right. I, I, just, I just have a really hard time understanding why, you know, your CEO, anybody would want to listen to them for 40 minutes without some sort of a story arc behind it, which is something that oftentimes brands fail to understand. They just want to hodgepodge a show together and they think that the existence of their show is news and that if they create a show, the audience will come, not realizing that it takes so much more than that to do branded podcasts and do one well. Totally agree. Um, I, I kind of feel like their point of view is, well, let's get the CEO on and then let's get the COO and the CFO. And how about the VP of, of sales to tell their stories when actually, is anyone really interested in hearing these people talk? Long <laughs> Not really. It's a vanity project usually, and we don't say yes to vanity projects. Um, the point of our shows is to educate, entertain, inspire. Um, if usually the, the mantra that we use is, how do we create a show that's going to be the first, the best, or different? If you don't fall into one of these three categories, we're not creating the show. I love that. What are the characteristics of being the best podcast? The way that I describe the best show is like if you have a particular subject matter expertise that is very unique to you. If you want to be, you know, creating a show on like another podcast on business success stories, then what do you have that How I Built This and Guy Raz doesn't? And if you can't answer that for me, then it's it's going to be really tough for us to sell and market this show. And so the, for example, one of our clients approached me a few years ago and he said, I want to create a podcast on open banking and open banking challenges around the world. And I, I said to him, I was like, this is very niche. I don't know who would want to listen to this podcast. And he said, no, I, I promise you there will be an audience for it. There are a lot of open banking nerds in this world and there's no content out there. And he's an open bank. He's a global open banking specialist. So the subject matter expertise is directly tied to the space he's living and breathing in every day. And we created the podcast because he fell into the category of if we're creating an open banking podcast, this is going to be the best one because of who we have hosting this show. It This show took off 
took on a life of its own. It has, it's probably one of our highest downloaded shows with an extremely engaged community following Mr. Open Banking. And this is because A, it's niche. So I do think that uh, the more niche you are, the more chances you're going to have a natural community around your show and people seeking out your content, less competition. And B, um, the content that he's sharing on this podcast is so uniquely positioned to his skill set. So let's talk about the promotional side of this then, considering it's so important and fundamental to the success of your show. This is something that we can talk about for hours. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Even the size was very telling. <laughs> there are so many areas to explore. From the business podcast that you've worked with and the experience that you have, what have been the best ways that brands use to grow and promote their show? Okay. So this is a very controversial question because I think that what brands want isn't necessarily always what's best in terms of collecting authentic downloads. This this whole notion in our industry of like mass downloads versus qualifying your listeners is something that has been so like it's it's such a hot button because I, I feel like so many brands and so many production agencies will take a bunch of budget and ad spend and put it on these like platforms like Castbox and banner ads and player FM and Spotify ad studio and, and accumulate mass downloads that way. Cost per download being anywhere from one to $2. And look, I'm not going to sit here and say that that's not the right way to do it because like, who am I to say this is the right or wrong way to do things. But I will say that it's not just about your download. It's about qualifying your listeners. It's not just about, you know, if somebody listens to the first 10 minutes of your show and then drops off. That's a download and that's a listener, but it doesn't speak to the success of your content. So you should be measuring the right data to give you an accurate picture of whether or not your content is resonating with your ideal listener profile. So the reason, the way that we at Quill like to approach marketing is we sort of break it up into different buckets. So paid is like one bucket where we we do banner ads, we do custom host red ads on other shows, we do paid feed drops, we do all of the tactics that we know are going to um, show you the conversion rate in terms of cost per download. And, and I think that that's a really great way of reaching an audience quickly. Like the more ad spend you put in, the more you can accelerate growth. But I think a lot of brands forget about the organic tactics. They forget about the way to repurpose their content for other channels like YouTube and TikTok and bite-sized content for social. They forget about recap blogs for accessibility purposes, PR, doing a press release, basic PR for your show, um, maximizing distribution, crowdsourcing reviews for Apple Podcasts, applying to Apple's new and noteworthy form. Um, these sort of tactics that I'm mentioning, we, we call them the organic tactics at Quill, and they don't necessarily convert to downloads immediately. They don't. And, and I'll be the first to admit that it's the long game that you're playing. What it does is help elevate your brand and authentically bring in the right listeners over time. And so if you're looking for instant gratification, take $10,000, put it on CastBox, you'll get 50,000 listeners. I can't I can't speak to the legitimacy of those downloads. I can't tell you whether or not they're bots. I can't tell you whether or not they're people who are listening all the way through to the end of your episode. I can't tell you whether or not these listeners are C-suite executive decision makers or are listening on CastBox. Right away, we know that Apple and Spotify hold the majority of downloads in our space. And so when you're 
putting the bulk of your ad spend on platforms where there isn't a huge distribution in terms of listeners, you're really pigeonholing the diversity of your listeners. And so I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying mix it with all these other tactics that can reach your listeners in different places to maximize your discoverability. Okay, so I am a B2B brand and I've got a fantastic podcast. I've spent the last year perfecting the content. Editorially, it is amazing. Well, at least I think so anyway. And (laughs) everyone else internally thinks so as well. But now we want to market it. And Mm -hmm. I have a budget. And let's say, I don't know, the budget is 100%. So how would you break that down? And how would you apportion your budget to paid versus organic? And how would you apportion it even within paid? What are the different strategies Mm -hmm. that, that I should be focusing my budget and resource on? Great question. So I would say 30% paid, 70% organic is how I would portion out your budget and resources. Within paid, I would say 5% to the listening platforms and the rest should be um, spent on either dynamically hosted or programmatic ads on other shows. My favorite vendor is AdvertiseCast. I love working with Bob Kane. He's the... um, I would say the mecca in our industry in terms of ad sales. So if you're looking to do custom hostword ads on other similar competitive shows, he is the person to work with in terms of, you know, inventory slots. Um, we've seen a lot of success with ads like that. So so I would say that typically it doesn't convert as fast as like the the listing platforms, like, you know, Player FM and Podcast Addict and Spotify Ad Studio, but it is definitely reaching the right audience. And it's a very dedicated listener base. Similarly, paid fee drops can be expensive, but a very effective way of reaching a very dedicated audience that you're trying to acquire. Paid fee drop, for those who who aren't aware, is typically when you rent um, a portion or a space in a podcast feed so that your trailer or episode can live for a particular time period in the feed of their show. So let's just say, I was listening to Ultra by Rachel Maddow. You would go into Ultra and you would see the trailer of my podcast in the feed of her show. So if I was listening to Ultra or someone else was listening to Ultra, you would find the show by proxy. That can be really expensive depending on the show you're renting from, but it can be a very effective way of reaching a very dedicated audience. So even within the paid, there are certain tactics that I would recommend over others. Banner ads is another one that I think could potentially work really well depending on who your audience is. Um, we we typically work with Amaze, Amaze's team, Rockable, um, their technology that they created. But again, I would say for paid listing platforms and, and, and banner ads, 5% of your media budget, the rest should go towards like, collaborations with other podcasts and then 70% of your tactics on things that you know are going to maximize your discoverability, trying to get picked up by Apple, podcast awards, PR for your show, cross collaboration, um, converting all of your content for accessibility purposes, putting yourself on YouTube as a YouTube series, being on TikTok, creating bite-sized content for social, uh, media kits for your guests, live podcasting on other social channels other than the listing platforms. So Twitter Live or Instagram Live. There's so many tactics. 
oh, influencer marketing works really well for us. Like micro influencers have been a really great way of reaching a targeted audience. So we create a lot of um, shows and like, for example, we're creating a show right now in the pet industry and it's like a major hospital in the US for pets and micro influencers have been a really successful way of us reaching uh, folks in the pet industry. And you know, that's just generally, those aren't really tactics that are on the radar of a lot of brands who are promoting their show. I think at the end of the day, I, what I hear you saying is that it comes down to your creativity, really. Exactly. It comes down, you know, there are so many options available to marketeers just in general. And it comes down to how creative you are in terms of figuring out what the right mediums are, where your audience is. Exactly. And this is why we still do the paid tactics because unfortunately, everybody cares about downloads. If you can say that you don't care about the number or the reach, but but everyone does. And so, great. I'll put X amount of money towards banner ads and the listing platforms and, and get you your numbers. But authentically, I am also going to do all of these other tactics that I know are going to diversify your listeners and reach more people on Spotify, Apple, decision makers, C-suite executives, whoever it is that you're trying to reach, we're going to go after where they live online, wherever that may be. So we have downloads. So let's say that we have successfully implemented this paid and organic strategy, and we're seeing the download numbers increase. What then? Ultimately, for B2B brands, we want to know who this individual is. How can we influence them? How can we start a conversation with them? What's the next step after the download number? Well, Nathan, you know the next step. The next step is using co-host B2B analytics because we can give you a list of all the companies that are listening to your show, industries, locations, revenue sizes, age, gender, household income of the listeners, uh, eventually, we want to get to a point where we can actually provide you with LinkedIn profiles. So similar to what Zoom Info and Leadfeeder are doing for website traffic, we're doing for podcast traffic and converting that into a sales pipeline. So the goal is to be able to integrate into CRM tools so that you can go out and build a better relationship with the podcast listeners who are tuning into your show and also use it as a, as a sales lead generation tool. Talk to me then about expectation setting because so often we work with brands who love the idea of a podcast. They want to start their own. They're really excited about it and they launch. And I think in their head, they're thinking this is going to be Joe Rogan, or this is going to be some fantastically successful sh show out of the bat. And, you know, it doesn't get hundreds of thousands of downloads or millions of downloads overnight. Um, talk to me about expectation setting and What's realistic and over what period of time should brands be thinking about how to build their audience and how, what level of time should they be thinking about measuring success? So I think from a timing perspective, it's, it's interesting because I feel like there's no such thing as overnight success. It's podcasting is, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And um, it's like building your brand or your company. It's never going to be an overnight success. And if it was easy, everybody would do it. And so that's always kind of my my first piece of advice to clients that we work with is really to manage their expectations and let them know that um, this is why we ask that your show be broken up into seasons, similar to a Netflix show. There should be a definitive start and end so that you can take the time after each season to do an autopsy of what worked well. Do you want to change up your format and structure? Do you want to change your host? Do you want to change the brand? Um, where are your analytics? What are the goals for the next season? And 
I, I think it's it's hard for me to answer this question in in the form of, well, how do you know you've made it for your show? Well, you don't because your milestones keep evolving and keep getting bigger. When you start, your milestone is just to be able to launch with a six to eight episode season. For season two, your milestone could be trying to get picked up by Apple's new and noteworthy. For season three, your milestone might be to win a Discover Pod People's Choice Award. And then season four, 10, your goal might be to win a Webby Award. So I I think that the importance of the question is that you really need to break it up into uh, smaller sort of milestones and increments. So it doesn't feel so overwhelming walking into this industry and being like, well, all of these shows have such a big head start on me. And there's so much content out there, so much amazing content out there. Like, how am I going to compete? Like, how am I going to build my show to be able to be on the same stage and platform as these other podcasts. And and it's just, it's like Joe Rogan, his, his content sucks. But the one thing that guy has is he kept going. He was podcasting when no one was podcasting. I think his content is absolute garbage, but you know, he is appealing to a very specific audience. It is a very specific audience, it not is. me, but it is an audience and he so. is successful. So you got to give it to him. Uh, irrespective of what comes out of his mouth, he has been consistently producing shows and it has not been overnight success. We've seen him blow up. His momentum has continued and blown up in the last sort of couple of years with his Spotify deal and, and just so many sort of accolades coming his way. But for years, he was podcasting with no recognition. And I think the key there is consistency and frequency. And so don't focus on anything other than consistently putting out great content and doing it frequently and the rest will follow. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the barriers that brands face when they are coming to this medium and they want to set up a show. What are the biggest challenges or hurdles internally that they face when setting up and launching a show? And how do those challenges change as seasons progress? I think um, probably one of the biggest challenges for brands is like understanding that you're creating a podcast to entertain your stakeholders or your audience, not an infomercial that promotes your products and services. Um, One of my favorite podcasts is uh, McAfee's show. It's called Hackable. It was created by my favorite production agency, uh, Pacific Content. And they are just so good at the content that they put out. But this particular podcast really stands out to me because it is an infomercial without you ever knowing that it is an infomercial. You, the, the, the way that they do their product placements, the way that they sell their products and services is so subtle. And it's woven into the content in such an authentic way that you would never realize that they were promoting their brand. And I think that is an art and that is also a science that brands have a really hard time wrapping their heads around. It's always a challenge when having conversations with our clients that nobody wants to hear about your CRM tool. Nobody wants to hear about what promotional offers you have going on this month. Nobody wants to hear about XYZ initiative that you have launching. People do not care. Other than maybe your employees, and if it's an internal show, go nuts. People do not care about these conversations. And so... I think the brands that we have the most success with are the people who understand early that they want to create a really great podcast. And sometimes that means being a brand that is sponsoring a show or creating content. And it may not necessarily be directly linked to their product or service or a a blasted sales ad, but 
through reputable content and engaging content, they are building their own profile and brand awareness. And so that is usually a challenge. And I would say that is usually the biggest obstacle because if you create the former show, which is a podcast that is literally talking about your products and services and, and your industry and the challenges in your industry, then you're going to reach a very, very small and limited audience. What about the resources that it takes to make this happen internally on the brand side? Talk to me about the size of the team that is needed, the skills that are needed. If they were to do this themselves internally, what does that take? So this is why we exist. are in business. <laughs> yeah, this is why we were in business. I mean, ultimately the brands that are coming to us, A, are not podcast experts, so they don't know what they don't know. They're leading, they're relying on their production agency to lead the process and um, sort of guide the way. And, and second, most of these brands don't have very much bandwidth. Their teams are usually at capacity. Um, and of course, they're there to review our deliverables, show up to recordings. Um, but ultimately, we are the folks who are running the show. We are the ones who are leading the entire process. I would say 80% of the lift comes from us and 20% comes from them because they are, of course, subject matter experts in the content. And more importantly, they own a lot of their own. We work with Fortune 500 brands. They own a lot of the channels that we want to unlock to promote their show. So if we can get on their social channels, their email blasts, their newsletters, their um, content ecosystems and integrate with their brand when it's a brand that big, that really moves the needle for us in terms of marketing the show. So of course we rely on our clients. It's a partnership, we're an extension of their team, but we are definitely doing the heavy lifting. If a brand was to completely produce a show in-house to do it well, um, just by, by context purposes, we have about seven people working on each podcast seven people, full-time people dedicated to a podcast to do it right. So that's what you're looking at. Absolutely incredible. I don't think people appreciate the investment of time and resource that's needed no. to do this. I think, you know, you look at the end of a serial, for instance, and the credits that roll afterwards. Um, <laughs> there are so many people involved in a production like that. And you just have no yeah. idea. You look at a movie or even a short series and there are literally thousands of people that are involved in that um but exactly it, it's a lot of work they, but they make it feel easy and seamless right they make it feel easy and i mean here's the thing you could create a podcast with one person doing everything but they're not going to be winning a discover people's choice award like they're not going to be ranking top five on apple so i think ultimately you have to ask yourself that question as well do you just want to create and hodgepodge a show together for the sake of creating a podcast or do you want to do it properly and not take shortcuts and sometimes the answer is the former we just want to try something really quickly we want to be scrappy we want a proof of market um and we don't want to necessarily invest x amount of dollars in time to to have a show ranking top five on apple chart that's not our goal in which case great work with a freelance producer um, and they can have your show up and running in a couple of weeks but we are not that production agency and, and we fill a very specific gap in the market. Um, and that gap is like not taking any shortcuts and doing it properly. Last couple of questions, Fatima. I could speak to you about this literally all day. I like, I, I want you to block out your calendar for the rest of the day so I could, I could speak to you about this. This has been, this has been so great. What's the future of B2B 
podcasting? What's the future of branded podcasts? And are there any emerging trends or tech that you think is going to reshape the industry? So to me, like the future and what I am hopeful the future will become for B2B brand branded podcasts is brands actually using podcasts as a lead generation and sales tool, not thinking about podcasting as a nice to have, but rather thinking of it as a need to have. Um, and so what I would really like to see is brands integrating a podcast rather than having it live in isolation on the listening apps, actually integrating it into their marketing strategies and content ecosystems. So if they're creating creating evergreen content, repurposing it for all of their channels, whether it's social, YouTube, their newsletter, their email distribution list, PR, and, and repurposing that content for every sort of channel rather than just having a podcast live in isolation on Apple, Spotify, Google, and hope that people will come find it. To me, that is the future your podcasting, if you can find a way to repurpose all of that content and then use it as a sales channel, I think that you are going to have a much easier time justifying the creation of new production budgets. That's how podcasting ends up continuing on. And that is my number one concern is like, how do we continue to solidify it as a medium and make sure that brands are seeing the ROI and success so that they can continue podcasting? Lastly, Fatima, based on your experience, what advice would you give to B2B brands that are looking to start a branded podcast or an interview style podcast to incorporate that into their marketing strategy? Hire a production agency if you can afford it. <laughs> great, great answer. Absolutely love that. Fatima Zaidi, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Nathan. Always a pleasure. Take care. This is Influence is a production of Bridge Growth, the B2B podcasting agency. I could not produce this show without our crack staff here at Bridge. Kimmy Sylvester is our production assistant. Christoph Boaszczek is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to This is Influence.